you guys would uh, turn to Colossians chapter 3, and we'll read that in a minute. Um, if I can even find it myself here. A few, uh, few years ago, you wouldn't even see me up here. Um, I was the guy probably sitting somewhere close to the exit, and I was going to make a V-line for the parking lot as soon as uh, the altar call was made. Um, the Holy Spirit can do a lot of things when he reveals to you uh, who you are in him. And uh, not only that, but a lot of self-destructive patterns in my life. He's given me a family uh, that has prayed for me uh, without end and uh, has given me a beautiful wife and uh, several other blessings that I couldn't even possibly imagine would be true. Um, if you would, let's just pray real quick. Father God, thank you for this opportunity that you would uh, allow me to even, even speak and, and try to do justice to what you've done to us who believe in you. And I just ask that uh, you'll take... Uh, take this time and, and just speak through me and say whatever it is you want to say and uh, that if there's any benefit that you'll uh, bring glory, glory to yourself. Amen. Um, I, the, the reason that, um, that I was the guy that was sitting in the back is that I grew up with this belief system that I was um, somewhat of a failure. Uh, I was raised in church just about every Sunday, every Wednesday, never allowed to miss, uh, not for much of anything. Uh, so I grew up with this idea that, that you had to go, and in order to be a Christian, this is what your life would look like. You would sing in the choir, you would, you would go to church every time the doors were open, uh, you know, and you would, you would hear, do this, don't do that type of sermons. And so my idea of Christianity was is that I had to build myself up, make myself a better person, and that's who I was going to be. Uh, there was no real relationship there. I knew a whole lot about Christ, about God, about forgiveness. I knew some, some things about that type of stuff, but um, I was going through the motions of trying to attain and trying to be something. Um, so after, after being a teenager and obviously struggling to death, trying to, trying to be good enough, I got really frustrated. Um, I decided that that really wasn't the, the kind of life I wanted to live, and I started to, to really rebel. Uh, my grades started dropping in high school, and um, I started seeking love and acceptance in, in other things, namely uh, drug addiction. Um, it didn't take long in the drug world to become an IV drug user, and we all kind of know the end of that story for everybody, regardless of who you are. It's either jail institutions or death, one of the three. And uh, for me, I ended up in jail. Uh, I was sent to Knoxville to a secular kind of halfway house, and. Um, uh, I began to get on this rabbit wheel or hamster wheel and I would just spin in a circle trying to trying to build myself up better. I was determined I was going to be clean now. I was going to get my life together. I have a daughter. I went and got custody of her. All the while I'm still still, still kind of got God, you know, he's there. I know he's, he's there. I know a lot about him, but he's not really part of me. As a matter of fact, I'm kind of angry at church. I'm kind of angry at people in general. Uh, because I had been hurt, you know, there was so much rejection. I had failed in just about every decision. I could not live up to do this, don't do that type of sermons that I heard. And so for me, I was a, a complete failure, and that was who I thought I was. There was nothing I could do that was going to be good enough or right enough. Uh, so, so I built myself up, a lot of psychobabble, psychology, medications, things like that, and and, um, and, and they would build you up to... You know, better yourself. Self-help books galore fill up the bookstores and 
I was a, I was a fan of sitting in the chair at Barnes and Noble, you know, and just sit there all day long and try to pick myself apart. And I'm going to better myself up. And so I did, according to the world, I, I did pretty good. I got myself clean, got custody of my daughter, got a good career, got a got a house, and and according to society standards, I was doing pretty good. Uh, but I, I didn't have Christ, didn't go to church. I'd read the Bible quite a bit, and, and I still wanted to know about him, but I didn't really abide with him at all. As my daughter got a little older, um, the Holy Spirit really started pulling me to, to start seeking some answers. Uh, there was a local church that was close to me, and it kind of looked kind of cute, you know, so I just said, I'm just going to go to the preacher and talk to him. And so I talked to him a little bit there, and uh, I decided, hey, I'm going to get back in church. I'm going to have my daughter in church, and this is what I'm going to do. So I got back on this hamster wheel again, and the same thing, do this, don't do that type sermons. And I'm, I'm doing this, don't do that. And after about a year of that, I was just sick and tired again. And I said, you know, is this, is this what Christianity is? You know, if that's it, I, I mean, I, I don't know what's different about that than just me doing things on my own. I don't need church. I don't need much of anything. So I, I just, I just kind of hung in there, raised my daughter in it, and I'm just about at my wit's end. I'm ready to go see a shrink again because nothing in this world seems to satisfy. I'm not happy. Uh, but, you know, from a society standpoint, I had attained all these things. I got my custody my daughter. Hey, you know, what's not to be happy about? Uh, but I just wasn't happy with who I was. I still had fear, still made bad decisions. So one of the, um, the times that I was getting ready to just stop going to church, Dr. Solomon came and did a real small, condensed version of the wheel and line and what Dan's been talking about the last uh, couple of Sundays. And, and I didn't understand it all, but something was there that, that I really enjoyed. And I was like, hey, I'm going to you know, check this out and start reading it on my own. And, and something was really pulling me toward that message. It seemed real. There seemed to be a, a genuine, genuineness to it. And so I started studying it and reading it, and I just didn't get it at all. Uh, so about six months later, I was in my room reading my study, and uh, I'm just about to make an appointment with the psychologist to get back on antidepressant meds and ADD stuff and everything else you can manage, imagine. And I came to Colossians 3 here, and I'll read it, and I'm going to stop it where, where God really pierced my heart with it. Colossians 3, verse 1, it says, If then you were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above where Christ is, sitting at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on things of the earth. And one of the things I heard right there in verse 2 was, I always heard, well, you know, don't be so heavenly minded, you're no earthly good. And don't be so earthly minded, you're no heavenly good. Well, that's not true. According to that verse, we're to set our mind on things above, so... Suddenly, I'm, I'm forgetting, wait a minute, maybe some of the things I've learned growing up that I thought were true about myself or may, may not be true according to Scripture. So then I read verse 3, and it was like a baseball bat to my head. For you died. Now I'm going to put my name in there. For Joe died. And your life is hidden with Christ in God. I no longer had the past, the failure. I was in Christ there. No, verse number four, when Christ, who is your life, appears. It was no longer Joe's life I was living. The point of Christianity was Christ in me, the hope of glory. My life was not about me, yet I was trying to make my life about me. All my desires, all my decisions, the poor pity parties I would have my, for myself, I made my life about me. And God took that verse and nailed it 
just nailed it. See, my problem was is I was trying to do everything in Joe's effort. Joe was trying to make his life and tell God what he was going to do. I didn't have an abiding, abiding presence of knowing God. And, and I'll still align here from the Holy Spirit how, how he really uh, pulled in my heart. Um, it's, it was spoken by another man. But he said, what if Christ lived his life in you, through you, instead of you? Would your life look different? And that, that just totally changed everything for me. My life was no longer about me. Christ was my joy. Christ became my passion. Everything was about him, for him, and to him. And it changed my relationships with my daughter. It changed my relationships with people. I no longer had to run this hamster wheel of, of doing church and going through the motions. It was a relationship I could have on the street. I'll never forget a friend of mine. Uh, I work at a marina close to here, and a friend of mine, we were, uh, we were actually on a boat one day, and he comes up there, and I asked him, I was like, man, you need to pray for me. You know, I'm struggling with this. He's like, let's just do it right now. You know, we were on the side of the street in the parking lot, people everywhere. We were just praying on the side of the road. You know, that is a relationship with Christ. Not going through the motions, not doing the, doing the, the vicious cycle of insanity. But, uh, you know, I, I just, uh, uh, that, that verse in Colossians 3 and 4 really, really changed everything for me. It became Christ in me, not about me. Joe Cornelius, God bless you, man. Thank you so much for your story. I love, I just love the healing and the redemption that is brought to you. You heard from Dr. Rankin last week. You heard from Linda. You heard from Jason. Uh, so different in their backgrounds and how God has worked and led in them. But the one thing that they all have in common, that I have in common with them, is the cross, is the cross, is the power and the healing that is found in the cross of Christ. And um, it is a message that, uh, like Joe said, some of us have known for a long time, or we maybe heard it even when we were younger, uh, and we're familiar with the idea, and it's like we're this close to it and never actually step into the reality of what it means to be in Christ and to know our identity in Him. That's kind of what sets us apart in so many ways um, from the life that we had or that we thought and, and what God wants to do. And I know that culturally, this is really different. And some of you, and I've gotten, I, I told Dr. Solomon, I said, my counseling has doubled uh, since we began this series. Uh, my email inbox has, has exploded. I know it's different. I know it's culturally different. And sometimes we're trying to put it together and say, okay, I kind of get this, but this is really different than what I was told when I was 8 years old or when I was you know, 14 years old at youth camp. It's, and it is different. And it's a different signal than we get uh, all the time from society. Um, I think yesterday, no, is it today that's National Coffee Day? You need to celebrate that. I mean, that's, you know, that's kind of like my, my last addiction. Uh, <laughs> that's my last drug, brother. That's my last one. Uh, but, you know, uh, there you get a lot of, you see just a lot of the, um, I kind of like the wisdom of the age. And I think if there, you know, there's different voices that speak into our lives um, that kind of reflect where we are as a society. And I think one of the most popular of those, uh, I mean, there's several, but let's just pick Oprah. 
You know, she's, some of you, you live by what she says, right? And you think, oh, my goodness. And her farewell show was one of the highest rated daytime television shows ever in the entire world. And she says a lot of things, and people clap, and they go, oh, my goodness, that's just so good. Yeah, kind of, but not really. So I've got a friend. What he did is he took, because what they're doing is they, they took a lot of Oprah's quotes, and they put them on, well, you know the little sleeve that goes around your Starbucks cup? Um, I guess that's just called a little sleeve. I'm sure there's a better title for it. And just wrote some of her quotes. So what this guy did is he took those quotes and kind of rewrote them uh, from a position of somebody who's understood the cross. Uh, for instance, this one. The only courage you'll ever need is the courage to live the life you want. Uh, we sacrifice the life we want for the life he wants to give us. Or like this, be more splendid. No, I can't. I've tried being more splendid. That didn't work so good for me. Be more humble. And more ordinary, use every moment, not to fill yourself up, like Joe's talking about, pump yourself up and listen. No, just empty yourself, abandon yourself and embrace Christ. And then uh, he took this one, know that it's God who sparks the light in you. Then use that light, the light of Christ, to illuminate uh, the world. Uh, Your life is small. Keep serving. I just love that. I just love that. Okay, follow your passion. And it will lead you to, not your purpose, but ruin, if that's what you follow. Um, I am here to shrink down to less. And we just crossed Oprah out completely, John the Baptist. Uh, Okay, there's a lot, you know, like I say, there's a lot of wisdom, and I respect this lady, and I think at one point maybe there was something there that was uh, genuine, but we, we get disconnected. And we do the same thing. Even as people who are like church people, even as people who are here, we gradually, and I, I know, I can tell you, I can tell you firsthand, if you're not careful, you just take these little baby steps, baby steps uh, away from the pure, you know, essence, the, the core, the reality of the gospel, and we began to replace it for some you know, like a couple of testimonies you've heard, we just we spin off into all kinds of inappropriate behavior. And we think, well, it's going to be about power and money. It's going to be about sex and drugs. It's going to be something I need to relieve the pressure or just to feel like my life's got a little purpose. Or we're going to lean the other way, and we're going to get into legalism and churchianity, and we just start serving in our flesh and thinking, okay, I must have value. God must like me. Look at all the things I've done for Jesus. You know, Look, I've, I've taught this, and I've done that, and I've served in all these ways. And yet, beneath it all, behind the layers, we feel still there's this emptiness, or there's this place, and we think, this doesn't seem to be working. And so we cross this line. And this is a beautiful scripture that Joe read, you know, that when I understand that I'm in Christ and that it's not about my life, it was never about me to begin with. It's always been about Jesus and what he wants to do. Now, different people take different paths to the cross. My story is not like your story. Some of you are not on that path, okay? You're on a different path completely. And um, I'm, I'm trying to nudge you to, to see uh, that... Wow, Jesus is the way. They just simply put. Uh, but for those of us who are on this path, there are different places. And you may think, well, Dan, I don't know, because I don't really have a story like Linda's or Joe's or, or David's or Jason's or yours or, or, or some of the other people that you might could get up there. I'm kind of unique, and I get that. We're all kind of different. Um, so I want to show you a couple of models. You know, there's like God's ideal, I think, 
is that when I was 11 years old and was first introduced to Christ, that at that moment I would repent of my sins, that I would surrender my life completely to Him, and that I would identify with Christ. I would get it. I would think, oh my goodness, it's not just His death, burial, resurrection, and ascension, but I'm in Him. And I would get that. Now, that's kind of tough for an 11-year-old boy, right? <laughs> you just don't, I didn't have a lot to surrender of. I just I wasn't in a lot of trouble. I think I was stealing cigarettes. That's about as far as I would go. You know, um, we just didn't have a lot. So some of you, and I think it's uh, how just a few would live by faith, uh, would be on a path like that, that at one moment in your life, you completely kind of got all of those events packed in a way. And I think, I think that would be beautiful. And I wish that were my story. Uh, many of you could probably identify with this next model where you substitute service after the fact. You know, maybe you were saved uh, and you know that and you surrendered yourself to him. And in that surrender, there can be something just a little dangerous that can happen. Uh, and and I, I understand this where you think, God, I just love you so much. and I just appreciate what you've saved me from so much. I'm going to work for you. When I get up in the morning, oh my goodness, I'm going to serve and I'm going to serve and I'm going to work for Jesus. And, and then maybe on past that, you realize this is not really satisfying. Or, God, I feel like I'm failing in so many ways. And we understand the message of the cross and we identify with Christ. And we say, oh God, I see now who I am uh, in Jesus. Uh, what uh, has happened to me really, and we identify at that point, and we began to grow in the grace of Christ. Now, some people, and I think this is a model a little bit like Dr. Rankin showed you, and I think this is, I could, I, this is the one uh, that I kind of can see myself in, where at one point in my life I was saved, and I absolutely know that that was a reality. And I've tried to talk myself out of that. Other people have tried to talk me out of that. Uh, but there was something happened. I know something happened that was initiated. A relationship began. But I didn't surrender. I didn't have a lot to surrender. When I was 19, I had a boatload of stuff to surrender. And my life and my heart. And I just wanted Jesus to be the king of my life. And that was so genuine and so sincere. And I gave him my life. And then later understood what it was to be in Christ. Uh, and after you're burnt out, after you're worn out, and after you, you think, wow, God, I'm just doing my best, and it just doesn't seem to be good enough, and the Lord speaks to your heart and says, well, because you were never designed, I never wanted it that way. That's not the intention to begin with, was for you, you know, to be surrendered, and then just jump in there and do your best for me. And when you identify with my death, burial, and resurrection, the ascension, and you see that you are uh, in Christ, and that happened with you. Uh, some, uh, there's an identification, uh, there's a surrender and identification that happens at the same time. Some of you think, you know, I know I'm, say, I know I'm a believer, I'm a follower of Jesus, uh, but Dan, I've never really surrendered my life like that. I've had that thought, and this is the culture I was raised in, because if you ask anybody in the Riley clan, in the Riley family, are you a Christian? Are you saved? Uh, I won't say every one of them, but I would say almost everybody in my family would have said, well, yeah, of course I'm saved. I was sharing the gospel with one guy, and I said, you know, I just, I just, uh, he said, oh, you think I'm not saved? I go, yeah, I kind of don't. He goes, oh, my goodness, well, I am, I was. I said, well, how, I don't know how, he said, well, I was 13 years old, and I prayed that prayer. I said, you did what? He goes, yeah, I prayed that prayer. I was at a revival meeting and prayed that prayer. I'm saved. 
Listen, this is not some kind of like a magic wand that we wave over our lives or we do this formula or we, we go through this ritual and it's like you come out on the other side and it's like, boom, I'm in. That's not the way this works. It's a relationship. It's a relationship. And so there may be a point in your life, and it may be today, where you say, Dan, not only do I want to surrender my life to Christ, but I want to live in Jesus. I identify, I get it, uh, that it was all about the cross. Not just that Jesus died for me, but that I died with him to myself and to my flesh. And, and it, God begins to work and move in a different way. And sometimes that comes through suffering. You know, that we begin to serve in our self-strength and we get so wrapped up in our flesh and it just doesn't work. And we get to this place where we say, Lord, this is, uh, I don't understand. And God begins to teach us uh, a new thing. And here's the new thing I think a lot of us need to know. And we've said this verse uh, probably every week in this series. It's Galatians 2.20. It says, I have been, past tense, crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. That's the heart uh, of, of this message. Um, since the believer's spirit is already saved, what Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 tells us, that my spirit is saved the moment I was converted to Christ and gave him my life, I was saved. And we just sang this beautiful song a moment ago about one day I'm going to be ultimately, all these shackles are going to be completely dissolved and broken when I'm redeemed at the resurrection. Romans 8, uh, 22 talks about that, that one day we'll be in heaven together and uh, there's, there's no more sin, flesh, and devil. You know, there's no more. Uh, but the, So the major focus, I think, for us today would be figuring out how does the cross apply to my soul, to who I am in my personality. James 1.22 says, Therefore, lay aside all filthiness and the overflow of wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word. The word that has been implanted in my life. And he said, which is able to save your souls. It saves my souls. And I want you to consider how, you know, Jesus said, you know, you have to take up your cross. He says, deny yourself, take up your cross and follow me. Uh, that was not just poetic. I think a lot of us have read that scripture a lot of times, right? I mean, we've read that again and again and thought... I don't even know what you're talking about, you know. And some people go so literal with that that they will build a cross and drag it across town. Jesus said, and I saw one of these guys once, uh, and I asked him, what are you doing? And his had little wheels on it that he had adapted, like from a skateboard. I, I thought, oh, you're going to carry your cross. And to make it a little easier, we're going to put wheels on it. I just thought that was kind of like, no, you should do this real. You should, you know, if you're going to do this, you know... But he's, he's pulling this thing along. And he goes, well, I just go from city to city and I do this. And I go, wow, that's, he's, well, you know, that scripture. Take up your, I said, you know, what? I don't think that's what he meant. I'm, in fact, I'm pretty sure that's not what he was talking about. No, he's not talking about dragging a cross around. He's talking about laying it down, getting on it, and allowing him to crucify you with Christ so that you can be resurrected with him uh, so that it becomes not about me, but about him. I want you to see, and I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna touch on these. And if you ever get an opportunity to look into this a little more, there's, there's just a ton of scriptures that support uh, just these ideas of what God does when the 
the faculties of my life, my soul, my mind, my will, my emotions, my affections, that part of me which is me, okay? Um, when my will has been changed, when it's not my will anymore, but you know, even when Jesus said, not my will be done, but yours be done, he was even in surrender to the Father. Uh, when I surrender my rights uh, to him and give up this independent control of my life, and I'll be honest with you, most Christians I know are still in control of their own life. Even though Christ is in their life, they're still calling the shots. And that's the problem. We don't do that belligerently oftentimes. We just do. So when I yield to what uh, Romans 12, 2 says is good and acceptable and perfect will of God. So I ask you this, and I asked you this last week. Will you be willing? I'm just going to ask you a few questions before I get to this part that I'm really kind of uh, anxious to talk about. Uh, is that will, will you be willing to surrender your will to God in every area of your life. I think that is an initiating decision uh, for you to make because typically, isn't this true? And I'm talking to those of you who are followers of Jesus, those of you who would say, yeah, I'm a Christian. However, I'm not the Christian I want to be because I'm holding back this area, this area, and this area. And God says, you know, this is just so simple. And I know it feels risky, and I, I know you think, wow, I'm not sure what's going to happen next. Uh, it's the difference between, you know how you ease into a swimming pool that's real cold? And for guys, I don't know where it is for girls, but for guys, right about here is the point of, okay, I can still get out of this. I can still get out of this. You know, it's cold, but, but the next part takes a huge amount of courage. And you, just, and you think, well, the best way to do is just get on the diving board and just jump in. That's sort of what surrender is about, just saying, God, I'm not going to hold back anymore. I'm just going to jump in in every area of my life. Uh, and I give up my perspective, my worldview, and I embrace God's perspectives, and he has the freedom to begin to determine and to direct and guide my thoughts. So will you surrender your flesh-based perspectives and embrace God's truth just by faith? Now, I'd heard that Billy Graham had done this once at Lake Yale, Florida, and so I did it at the same place. We were there at a youth trip, so I took my Bible and I opened it up on this log, and I said, God, I don't always know. Uh, I've been to a kind of a liberal school, and I've been to a conservative school, and I've learned a lot, but I've got people who have some really strong arguments that would be on the other side of what Scripture, and, and I'm just tired of always trying to be, you know, figuring this out, and, and always trying to stay ahead of my doubts or questions that I don't understand. So, God, just by faith, I'm, gonna believe, I'm just going to accept this, and I'm going to accept your view in my life, and I abandon all my positions, and if your Word says it, and your Spirit confirms it, you know what, I'm going with that. Even if it doesn't make sense, even if it doesn't seem like that's not the right next thing to do, uh, God, I'm just going to go with you. And just begin to surrender, uh, to surrender those perspectives. Uh, and then in my emotions, and this is what I want to talk about today a lot, because I think this is where all of us live, where we depend on my resources uh, instead of God's resources as my source of living. Even Christians... You know, we try to soothe ourselves, we medicate ourselves, we, you know, affirm ourselves, we encourage ourselves, and we do that typically, typically outside of a biblical context. Not in Christ, but in myself. Well, I'm just, and we, you know, we, we push ourselves up, and we, you know, we do all these tricks that we kind of do. 
Uh, and I think at the end of the day, we still feel so inadequate. And we still feel like, oh, God, I'm just failing. That's because your adequacy, your competency doesn't come from you. It's never going to happen like that. It's never going to work. 2 Corinthians 3, 5 says that we're not sufficient in ourselves. Oh, you mean all this time I've been trying so hard and it's like, no, you're, yeah, you're never going to be able to do that. Our sufficiency, Paul said, is from God who made us sufficient to be ministers of a new covenant, a different way of life that's not about the letter. In other words, it's not about what's been written and all the rules and the regulations and all that you've been trying so hard to keep. He said, no, it's about the freedom. It's about that song we sang a moment ago where we've been set free. And I'm living, I'm stepping into the freedom that God has given me. I love what Jeremiah said. You know, when we think about all our coping mechanisms and defense mechanisms that we throw up to try to protect ourselves and to move ourselves forward. And he said, when you do that, it's like broken cisterns that won't hold water. He says, it's like you've got, you know, you ever had a cup with a hole in it? You know, and you're, and you're trying, you know, just really hard. Or uh, last night we picked up this plastic bag and it had some oranges in it and they were leaking. And so what do you do? You know, you, you, you try to get somewhere. And I think most of us are living our lives like that. We've got these leaky bag lives and, and we're trying to hold it in. And Jeremiah said, you're never going to be able to do that. He said, but Jesus said, you know what? I'm not just going to help you to hold this water in this, this leaky, broken little vessel. I'm going to give you abundance. I'm going to give you a river of flowing life, living water in your your life. There's going to be so much. Um, And the psalmist said that his love compensates for the rejection that we've all faced. He says, whom do I have in heaven but you? I don't, at the end of the day, Lord, you're the one I have. And even my own heart and my flesh may fail, but your strength is forever. There's a place where, you know, Paul said in Philippians, don't lose heart. And he tells this church that he loves so much and he's so affectionate. He goes, I can kind of sense you're getting so discouraged you're going to lose heart. And Christians do this. You know, we get to a place where we think, I'm so discouraged and I just don't see it. I'm just, I'm kind of losing heart about this. And we give up. We give up. And so we try all kind of alternative things. And he goes, you know what? I have a resource and it's me. It's, 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 it's him. So we, would you be willing to take this bold step forward and say, God, I'm just going to stop depending on the resources of my flesh. I'm going to depend on the indwelling Christ for my daily living. When I'm lonesome, when I'm scared, when I'm tired, it's, I'm going to you know, give you that. And what that does is it begins to change our affections. The things that we put worth in and what we think are valuable, that begins to shift. It's amazing that the things at one point in my life that fascinated me or that I was chasing, you know, and I think, oh, wow, that would just really be so awesome. That'd be so cool if I could be this, have that, do that, go there. And God began to change my heart. And I think it's purposeful when in my affections, I think, God, the things that I have seen as valuable, I'm going to purposely choose not those things. I'm going to choose what's valuable to you. Father, what, what do you see as important? What do you see as valuable? Would you be willing to delight yourself in God and His ultimate plan for you? Uh, I was telling somebody the other night that uh, my path, I was going to be, uh, I was a layout artist at an ad agency, and I had all these dreams of different things I wanted to do in that field and that bent. And I still love that, still enjoy it. And there, you know, I, I like, that, that interests me. 
you know, that part of my personality is interested in that. But I look at that and think, for me, and some of you are on that path, and that's what God's calling you to do, God bless, amen, go for it. But you know what, for me, when God changed the direction of my heart, the first idea was, when, when I began to think God wanted me to go into ministry, I mean, I chuckled. I mean, I really laughed out loud. And I was so hesitant. There's this guy who's kind of mentoring me, and I said, okay, I had this idea, and... Okay, I, this is going to sound kind of crazy, but I'm just having these ideas and it won't go away. These thoughts just keep coming into my head. And I was just embarrassed. I thought, okay, he's going to think. I said, what would you think if, if I told you that I think maybe I'm going to get out of this, maybe God's calling me into ministry. <laughs> he didn't laugh. He goes, yeah, my wife and I have been praying about that. We kind of think that maybe. I said, Seriously? And I still think to this day, that was years ago, to this day, I think I am one of the best jokes that God's ever played on you in your life. <laughs> I really do. I think we're going to get to heaven and he's going to go, and that was your pastor. <laughs> I got you so good. You know, you're going to think, oh, Lord. You know, yeah, I'm just, I still think it's kind of weird. And my old friends go, we're still getting used to the idea of you being a Christian. And we really can't wrap our heads around, are you a pastor? Like, can we come visit your church? And sit? one guy did. Remember last year this guy came and he just sat there going, oh my goodness, look at that. Who, he took pictures of me. Like, nobody's going to believe this. You know, that's a lie because God's changed the direction and the affections. And you know what? I love this. I look back at that and I think if I ever had to go back to that, oh, it just seems so boring and so dry. And so, I mean, and I, and I love I'm not calling your career is like less than. I'm just saying for me, this is something God built and did and it was something different. And that's what he wants to do in your life. Are you willing to embrace that? I love that verse that we started with. You know, James said, you know, this is able to save your soul. This can save your soul. Here's the thing. God longs to redeem your mind, your personality, your will, your affections. He wants to bring peace and healing at a deeper level than you ever imagined to your damaged emotions. When I began to understand my identity in Christ, God began to peel back layers of understanding in areas that, and, and, and I don't want to like spook you out or anything, but I began to have memories that I, had, I hadn't had in years and years and years. Totally forgotten events and situations and relationships and things that happened in my life. And God began to bring that back and say, this was a little part of the puzzle of rejection that got you on this path that you're on. And along the way would just bring healing and more healing to those damaged emotions. And it's a beautiful thing. God wants to give you back everything that the enemy took from you. Every part of your will, your mind, your emotions, your personality, uh, the direction of your heart and your life, everything that sin and flesh and the world robbed from you. And some of you feel victimized. And you think, damn, you never know what happened to me when I was a little girl. You don't understand the struggle I had as a young man. You, don't, you didn't know about my addiction. You didn't know about my abuse. You didn't know about the loneliness that I felt even when I was in laughter. Uh, you didn't know. No, but God knows, and he wants to heal your damaged emotions. So let me just talk about that, and we're going to wrap up this series with this idea because I know I've talked to several of you one-on-one, -on -one and you're on this path. 
and you're ready to see what God's going to do next. And I think it's going to begin here. It's going to heal your emotions, uh, and you're going to go forward with more freedom and liberty and peace and contentment than you've ever known uh, in your life. Uh, So we often connect feelings with our spiritual condition. You know, if we have hurt feelings or feelings of grief or sorrow or regret or discouragement, um, I know a lady who's a dear friend, she struggles with depression, and she's always, you know, like that, that time Jesus said, you search through the Scriptures because you think it's in there that you have eternal life. She's always looking for a verse, and she's just always struggling. I know I'm not a very good Christian. I know I'm just not being faithful, and I don't believe enough because if I did, I wouldn't feel so sad all the time. And, and, so, and I think, you know what? That's not... God wants to set you free. He wants to set you free uh, from, from this struggle. But we see that as connected. Listen, th- this may just give you a lot of liberty, this one thing. Emotions are not a mark of your spiritual maturity you know, or where you are, how spiritual you are. I want you to think just for a moment, do you know that Jesus was a very emotional person? He got angry? You ever read that and you think, maybe we should skip over that part where he got really mad and tore the house down. You know, I think, oh, Jesus, we're just going to cross through that or, you know, maybe that part. Because, you know, if you're friends, you're trying to lead somebody to Jesus and go, they go up. Oh, Tell me about Jesus. Well, let me tell you this story once where he gets his whip out and he just starts banging on everybody. Really? That's, yeah, that's Jesus. You know, he got angry. He wept. There are times he cried. I remember one time crying, and some of you in my generation, you were raised by Korean War veterans or World War II veterans, and I remember my dad saying this, the greatest cliche ever for my generation. You don't stop crying, boy. I'm going to give you got some brothers and sisters here today. Yeah. I'm going to give you something to cry about. <laughs> you never try to stop crying. <laughs> the only thing worse than trying to stop crying when you can't stop try- crying is to stop laughing when you're not supposed to be laughing. <laughs> you know, and you're thinking, that's so funny. <laughs> oh, think sad thoughts, sad, sad thoughts. Oh, so, you know, and is that way. I'm just trying to think. <laughs> when you feel sorrow, that doesn't indicate where you are on this spiritual barometer. You see, that's all about brain chemicals and electrical signals, and they can be positive or negative depending on the trauma, the insult, the fear, the crisis, whatever it is that you're living in that moment. And you know what? Just to free you up, it's okay to have feelings. God created you with feelings. In fact, I love Ephesians 4 where he said, Be angry, but don't sin. I thought, oh, you mean it's okay sometimes to feel anger? Because I was feeling this false sense of guilt. Every time I get mad about something, I think, oh, but I'm a Christian now. And I just, nothing should bother me, you know? I should just go, bless you. That doesn't bother, that doesn't make me mad. No, God said, it's okay. I'm kind of mad about that myself. But don't sin in that emotion. Okay, some of you, that just set you free. Because emotions are God's warning system just like physical pain, just like when you pinch your finger or burn your hand, you know, uh, and you, you, re- you react from that. Satan can use emotions, you know, to, to, to protect us uh, and to, to help us. So God is leading us and he's teaching us to not be in bondage to or to be led purely by your emotions. 
You know, all this stuff you see in movies and you hear in songs, you just got to follow your heart. Yeah, well, I did that. <laughs> your heart is deceitful and will trick you. Uh, and I'm just telling you, don't follow your heart because I follow my heart and it gets me in all kinds of trouble. You know, and you think, my heart, I'm going to sell everything and move to Mexico and I'm going to just eat tacos and I'm going to... And, and, and you get down there and six months later you think, wow, I'm broke and this, isn't, this doesn't seem to be working. I don't know the language and oh, I just followed my heart. Okay, I'm going to stop with that. But I think you get the idea that God didn't want you to be in bondage to, to that or you know, the depression and the memories that just sort of rule over you and in just moments of happiness or brightness and then that feeling comes back and God says, I want to set you free from that. Especially, not just emotions, but emotions that have been damaged and all of us have those. If you've experienced rejection or deep hurt, you may get stuck in a habit of living out of that emotion, of thinking, well, I'm never going to be good enough. No one's ever going to love me. Uh, you're always kind of waiting for the next bad thing uh, to happen. If you've been through a breakup or a divorce or some kind of a loss or a failure, and you think, I'm not going to let that happen again. I'm going to protect myself. I'm going to shield myself. You know, 2 Corinthians 5, 7 says, we live by faith, not by sight. You don't look at those things and experience those things and then live out of those feelings. Now, when I first moved to, to East Tennessee, um, I moved from Memphis, and I lived about eight miles from Midtown in a place called Fraser. I've talked about it so many times when we go, yeah, we know, we know, we know, and it's, it's, it's a rough place. It's always on those lists of most dangerous places to go. Um, and I moved to East Tennessee. It's just beautiful and all these mountains and these hills. And every year at the end of August, and maybe a couple of you, I know um, Eric Inger downstairs and Kid Stuff, and there's a couple others who, we used to go on these hikes. We would go up to the top of Mount Leconte, and we'd stay in these cabins that are up there that Jack Huff built back in the 1930s. No electricity or anything. It's just beautiful. It's just awesome. So we'd hike up there, and you spend the night and hike back the next day. Loved doing that. Loved doing that. Uh, so we're, I remember on our first hike, and we're going, and I go, well, you're, you being a Memphian, you know, you kind of need to know what's going to happen when we see a bear. What do you do when you see a bear? And I think, well, I think God's already wired that into me to know what to do when I see a bear. But they all are bear experts, and as we go along, they're all talking about, yeah, well, bears, you know, their front legs are short, so you, you want to run downhill because they can't, their legs are short. I thought, okay, I'll remember that. I'll run you know, and they're telling me all these things. Well, we get, a, we get to this place on the trail, and there's a bear. And, um, and since then, I've seen a lot of bears and been chased three times by bears, but this was my first. So I'm there, and, and she goes across, and then one of the little cubs, go, cubs, bear cubs, yeah, that's it. Uh, my high school mascot was bears. You think I would know this? Ooh, coincidence? Okay, so, but these two little cubs on the other side of the path, and they said, oh, you never go between a mama and her cubs. Rule one, bear language, bear wisdom, you don't do that. So I waited, and we waited, and we waited, and we finally thought, okay, we got to get up there. It's going to get dark, and we're stuck, you know, so let's just sneak past her because she's pretty far away, you know, from them. So we start doing it, and we're acting all real nonchalant and cool, like non-bear threatening, and we get, we get right between her and those cubs. She comes up and comes after us. And you know what all the bear experts and the city slicker did? 
The exact same thing. We all ran. I mean, it's just like, what do I do? What do I do? You know, it's like, run! You know, I knew that. I thought, okay, I didn't have to be taught that. I ran that. Uh, I ran away. Now, let's suppose there's somebody out in the woods, and they're like that, and they're being chased by a bear, and usually they'll bluff charge you, you know? They'll charge you for 10 or 20 feet, and then they'll, they realize you're, you're not a threat anymore, and so they'll turn around and, and leave. But sometimes they just keep coming, and you've got to keep running, you know, so what if, you know, there's a guy, and say he's like me, and he's out there, and he's getting chased, and you don't know what he's going to do, and the bear's getting closer and closer, and, and you think, oh, this is not working, this is not going to be good, but he sees in the distance a cabin, and it's, it's a really nice cabin, say like in Cades Cove or somewhere like that, and, and so you run into that cabin uh, and close the door, and you peek out, uh, and, and you bolt the door, you know, and you lock it up, and now the bear can't get in, and you're shaking like this, from fear and exhaustion. And I had a friend on LeConte, and he was trying to get a bear's picture, and he just kept getting closer and closer. And I'd say, this is not, you know that little thing in your head that goes, not a good idea, not a good idea, not a good idea. He's just trying to get closer. And finally, the bear had enough. I'm like, that's one step too close, and chases, and we ran up into those cabins. So, you, you know, you know, you can hear the bear outside kind of scruffling around, Scruffling is a verb, uh, but knows, you know, you know you're safe inside. And you, then finally you hear the bear give up, and you, and you peek out, and, he, and he's lumbering away, way off into the woods and leaving again. <sighs> you take a deep breath, and you start to calm down. And you think, whoa, I'm back to normal emotionally from where I was a moment ago, where I was terrified. And I've seen all these bear movies, you know. And it, so, you know, it, it's, and here's the fact that once, you're, once he's in the cabin, once I'm there, you're safe. In fact, the moment you run into that cabin, you're safe. The bear's locked out. That's the fact. That is what is true. You know, when we want to experience peace and feelings of safety, we run into Christ. We run in Him. You see, when I was saved, somebody said, and it was a preacher named W.W. Shanklin, he knelt down and he said, do you want to ask Jesus to come into your heart? And I did, with all, with all my being, and I did. I said, Jesus, would you come into my heart? Nobody told me for years and years later, not only did Jesus come into me, but I was placed in Christ. So now, everything that comes to me has got to go through Jesus first. I'm God-filtered. It's a very safe place to be. He's in me. I'm in Him. And everything is filtered. Romans 8.31 says, Nothing can separate us from the love of God. Nothing. And then he lists all these things. Hebrews 13.5 says, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. I'm always going to be with you. Psalm 32, 7 says, You are my hiding place. And I sing songs of deliverance from inside my cabin. I'm singing songs. That's the fact. And some of you don't even know that yet. You're safe in Jesus. That's the fact because you're in Christ. And when I understand the fact, then I can apply faith. And faith is a little word, pistuo, which means believing. It's like belief with legs on it. The man in the cabin knows the door is shut. He looks around and begins to relax when we see, oh, I'm safe. 
And you know what produces that in my life? It's I always have to counter these lies that I've built up through the years with some half-truths and some little-bit truths with Scripture and prayer. This never fails. And I know it sounds like old school, but I promise it works. When the enemy begins to attack me with my thoughts and I begin to be discouraged or hurt or rejected, I go to Scripture. And I begin to read these truths and something begins to happen. And there are times, I, I did this not long ago, I'm in my office and I just start reading this scripture out loud to the Lord. And I did kind of what Joe did in his testimony. I put my name in. And I say, God, you said this. My heart's telling me this. My mind, my emotions are telling me this. But you said this. I'm choosing to believe you. And so I'm just going to hold your word and I'm going to believe your word. And just began to pray and read scripture and then I began to relax, and healing begins to come. And when that healing begins to come, and you're not in a panic anymore, God's got you, you know, toward this place of balance again, you can begin to function. You know, once I'm in the cabin, and I'm looking around, I'm thinking, oh, oh my blood pressure is going down, I'm not shaking anymore. Uh, I'm not breathing real fast and hard. I can think more clearly. Now, if you've gone through an addiction or through a time of depression or through a a, a traumatic event in your life where you felt rejected, I'm going to encourage you, don't make a lot of quick decisions yet. You just need to soak your heart in the Word. You need to read Scripture and to pray and it may be six months for a year. And you know what's going to happen? This is, I've seen this, I can't tell you, a hundred times. You began to think more clearly. Your thoughts, your processes, you know, the, the mental way that you connect ideas together begin to heal. And you begin to think, well, you know what I think I need to do? I need to go back to school. Or, oh, I should have married my third grade girlfriend. Oh, I, I should have bought that car. Oh, I shouldn't have done that. Oh, I shouldn't, I, sh- I don't need to move. I shouldn't have quit my job. You know, all of a sudden you begin to think with clarity. This is one of the benefits of healing in our emotions. And we can act in accordance to truth. You can begin to act in accordance to that truth. And then this beautiful thing that happens is feelings that left us And through some of this, you may just feel numb. I don't feel anything. I don't feel anything. One day, feelings will join you again. They come back. Your emotions will begin to catch up to your knowledge and your awareness. Like the guy in the cabin. His fear that dominated him just a few minutes before now begins to subside. (sighs) I'm not scared anymore. I'm in the cabin, the bear's gone, I'm, I'm safe. That feeling goes away. So that emotion that seems to kind of dominate you right now, you know, Dan, I can't, I'm just so scared or, or I'm just so hurt. I understand. But that's just a feeling. And one day, feelings that, that go up and down with, you know, all the anxieties and the things that we face in life and the events uh, are not real dependable but they're going to come back. So you either let your emotions and feelings lead us and we act and behave on those things. Oh, I'm so mad. And we see every day people in the news. There's a guy yesterday in the news that shot somebody. He goes, well, and they said, well, it's not really murder because he just lost his temper. You see, your emotions will lead you into dangerous places. 
I had a young lady in my office just sitting there just crying and crying and crying. But I loved him. I just loved him. And he said he loved me. And now I'm in this situation. And I, Yeah, because your emotions lead you into dangerous places sometimes. But we know we live by what is true by faith. And scripture and prayer really come in and we share, we identify. And it, even I'm going to encourage you to do like this. Just read some scripture. Begin to pray consistently. And then as God illuminates your mind, you can name and identify what's causing that emotion. So, oh Lord, I feel rejected because this happened, and I just named that to you. And, and there's something very uh, empowering when God does that. And you can even remind yourself, you're not in control anymore. Christ is in control of my life now. And that's the difference between the self-life and the spirit life. It brings healing to damaged emotions when I realized I have a new future because I'm a new person. Oh my goodness, I have a new past. I have a new past because I'm in Jesus now and that goes, eternity goes this way and eternity goes this way. And now I'm in Him and He can heal in ways that I never dreamed. That's why Paul said in Romans 12 too, it's through the renewing of your mind that you're transformed because emotions gradually begin to heal and truth begins to replace those untruths and those exaggerated emotions and those damaged emotions and those habits set by years of thinking one way begin to be unraveled and undone and you begin to be healed. And I pray for that, uh, for you, for, for those who struggle with, with those feelings. And I want to pray for you now if you have damaged emotions and you're ready to surrender your life to Christ and your will and your emotions and say, Lord, my plan's not working so good. I want to die to myself and I want to allow Christ to live in and through me. And for some people, things I've heard of people being addicted and they were healed instantly. I've heard of others, didn't happen like that. Some people emotionally began, immediately began to, to feel the counter effects for many of us. It's an unfolding process as we unlearn a lot of those negative things that we learn and as we begin to identify with Christ. And so I'm going to pray for you to, to, to begin to reckon this true in your life and to pray for your victory uh, in Jesus. It's a beautiful thing. So if you would, please, let's just stand. And I think I rarely do this. I, I haven't done this probably in a year or two, but I'm going to ask that you'd bow your heads and, um, and just close your eyes because it's a very personal time. We're just going to, we're going to sing in just a moment together. But before we do, I just want to pray over you and with you. If you're at a place in your life and you know that there are damaged emotions there, you know there has been resistance uh, to the Spirit, but during this series or maybe today, You'd like to say, you know, Dan, like that, that, those charts you showed of the path to the cross. I've not come to a place of surrender or I've not come to a place yet of identification. But today, I choose by faith to believe God and what God says about me. And to abandon my old life. To step into Christ. You may have been a Christian 10 years, 20 years but you've come to this new place of identification today. I'm going to pray over you. And if you have damaged emotions and you want to be set free, 
I'm going to ask that you just slip your hand up and back down. All of all of the room. Okay. All right. A lot of us. Anymore. And you're just you're not doing that as a show to me. You're just saying, Dan. You're just saying, Lord, not to Dan, but to the Lord. God, I'm ready. I'm at the end of this. Maybe it's dormant. You may be in crisis, or you may be just rocking along. But you know, today's the day. Today's the day. You're ready to step into Christ. Father, I want to thank you for the power, the amazing, incredible power of the cross and how you've saved us from our own sin and the guilt and the shame and the condemnation that that brought. And then you've gone beyond that and you've brought healing in every area of our lives. First, spiritually. And some of us, you have saved our physical lives through our salvation. And one day you will ultimately do that for all of us. And for many here today, you have saved us in our souls, in our minds, in our hearts, where we've been beat up in our emotions and we're damaged. Already you're beginning a new process of healing and restoration in us through the power of the cross. So Jesus, we surrender ourselves to you. We identify with you. We die to our old selves. We deny ourselves and we pick up the cross and we allow you to live in and through us. We didn't understand this before, but we understand it today. We ask for the filling of your spirit. And Father, I pray for an anointing and a, and a depth that you would work in the hearts and lives, emotions and personalities of each one of us. And Father, we look forward to the healing and the victory and the peace that it begins to be unleashed into our lives. And we give you the freedom to do whatever you want to do next in and through us for your glory. In Jesus' name.